Hello and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psychology podcast hosted by clinical psychologists Dr. Layla Dan Osman, Dr. Mary Simray McDonald, and Dr. Jennifer Vrend. We hope that this podcast helps parents, children, and teens learn new coping skills in dealing with their stress and anxiety and to help strengthen relationships in their lives. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Coping Toolbox. I'm Dr. Jen, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Dr. Layla and Dr. Mary. Today, we're going to be talking about separation anxiety. So to start with, let's talk about what separation anxiety is. Separation anxiety refers to excessive fear or worry about separation from the home or an attachment figure. Separation anxiety or difficulty being away from a parent or caregiver is a normal developmental stage that tends to be most common around eight to 24 months of age. It's a normal developmental stage. However, like many other forms of anxiety, there are circumstances where it becomes less adaptive and more problematic for children and caregivers. So let's talk a little bit about when we should be concerned about the separation anxiety. So Dr. Layla, maybe you can start and tell us a little bit about times when we should be a little more concerned as caregivers. Sounds good. So as you mentioned, Dr. Jen, uh, it's totally normal for children to experience anxiety or distress related from separation from a caregiver or a parent um, throughout any point in childhood, really. So uh, even into the adult years, sometimes it can be difficult to separate from a parent. Um, If we think about it, not wanting to separate from a caregiver makes a lot of sense from an evolutionary perspective. So, for example, a child is trying to determine whether or not a situation is safe or a new person is safe. So it makes sense for them to initially feel anxious or worried in that setting. It's really normal for young children to cling to their caregivers or cry, try and push, you know, a teacher or a daycare provider away, etc. However, this typically only lasts for a few minutes, and then once the parent leaves, uh, typically a child is able to regulate or calm down within a few minutes. However, in separation anxiety, it doesn't get better. It, It tends to take a really long time or even get worse. And when a child is older, so for example, around three years of age or older, Um, we would expect this process to go a bit more smoothly, right? Um, A child should be able to adapt to a variety of new situations if they've had practice. Um, When this doesn't happen, it can start to become more impairing for a child. So that might mean they can't attend school regularly with ease or other settings without it becoming um, a big problem within the family. So that's when we know it's it's now separation anxiety um, and it's a more problematic form where we need to address it. It's really fascinating the way you just described it. And I think for parents also just to realize that some of that separation anxiety is normal and expected, right? And I think it's there, as you were saying, to really to keep the child safe, right? So they they have that dependence on their caregivers. They know their caregiver is the safe person. And then when they're exposed to new people, there's some of that hesitation and that separation anxiety develops in that way. But then, as you say, as they get older, as they start to get more comfortable with situations, as they're able to trust the um, teacher or the daycare provider, that's where we should see some of that anxiety going down. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And Dr. Mary, do you have anything that you want to add to that about separation anxiety and when it becomes more problematic? 
Yeah, I just wanted to add in that around 4% of youth experience separation anxiety disorder during any given school year. And when we compare it to normal separation anxiety, separation anxiety disorder also usually has more to do with an irrational fear that something bad might happen to the parent. So the behaviors can look really similar. In both cases, the child might be clinging to the parent or crying. But again, we're noticing this difference in the degree of impairment. So we might see disruptions in other areas of the child's life. We really see this extreme distress about being away from the caregiver. In some instances, even the thought of being away from a caregiver is really distressing and the duration tends to be longer. So the child's not adapting to the situation in the way that we would expect. Um, over time, when there is this extreme separation anxiety, it can become a risk factor for other difficulties as well. So things like social isolation or withdrawal or possibly mood disorders. Um, so that can be problematic as well. And we don't actually know what specifically causes separation anxiety. So we don't know what the specific cause is. Um, we do know that in some instances, it can develop after things like major stresses or losses. If a child undergoes a major life change or has some sort of unexpected separation from their attachment figures, these kinds of events sometimes can result in separation anxiety disorder. Um, but like most anxiety, parenting and genetics can also play a role. I think one of the questions that we often get from parents is just trying to figure out what is normal versus what they need to be more concerned about. So let's talk a little bit more about what are some of these these symptoms that we might see in separation and anxiety disorder. So in terms of the symptoms, some of the things we, we would see, one would be excessive distress when separating from the home or an attachment figure. So maybe lots of crying, lots of tantrums. We also may see a child who's worrying a lot about their attachment figure, uh, maybe dying, the attachment figure dying or being hurt or something very serious happening to that attachment figure. Another thing to watch out for is excessive worry about experiencing an unexpected negative event. So something like getting lost or getting sick that might lead to separation from the attachment figure. When a child is working through separation anxiety disorder, some of the fears that the child may have often will include things like, what if something bad happens to mom or dad? What if I get lost? These are the kinds of worries we may be seeing. Do you guys have more to add to some of the symptoms of separation anxiety disorder? So other things we can look out for is noticing if our child is refusing to leave home. School refusal, of course, is a primary symptom that we see in kids. Um, so not wanting to get on the school bus or get dropped off in the morning or just go to school. Mondays tend to be a really hard day of the week for these kiddos. Um, so that could be another uh, primary symptom. And just to add to that, we might see children who have resistance about going to these sorts of events that 
kids typically really enjoy. So maybe like a friend's birthday party or going to a play date at a friend's house. And a lot of this anxiety is rooted in being away from the caregiver. Um, like we've talked about in a lot of our other episodes, um, sleep sometimes can be an area of difficulty for kiddos with separation anxiety disorder. So they might be really reluctant to sleep away from the home. Um, they might be reluctant to go to places like sleepaway camp or stay over at a grandparent's house or a friend's house. Um, for some kids, they also have a hard time falling asleep without having an attachment figure close to them. Um, they also might have nightmares with themes that involve separation from their parent or caregiver. And like many young children with anxiety, sometimes when kids have a hard time finding the language to express um, how they're feeling, sometimes we see this come out through physical complaints. So we might have, you know, a child who's complaining a lot about having headaches or tummy aches. And it's really important to see if there's any connection there to separation from the parent or if it's at a time when they're anticipating a separation from the parent. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings up a really good point. You know, I think um, often we'll hear from clients things like, you know, Mondays are really difficult or my, my yeah. child is complaining of a tummy ache every morning, especially early in the week. And um, maybe they don't have the language, like you said, to express that they're nervous to go to school or be separated from their parent. Yeah. But that is the first symptom they report is my tummy hurts or I don't I don't want to yeah. go to school or I don't feel like it. Right. So um, those physical symptoms are, are really a first marker. Right. I had a mm -hmm. kiddo that I saw with anxiety where one of the first symptoms that came up or one of the first signs that came up was that they stopped eating breakfast in the morning. And when we dug a little bit deeper, we realized, you know, they were having this feeling of a tight tummy or nausea or some anxiety that was taking place there that um, was happening before school. So just these little changes and things to notice if there's a pattern that it might be indicating some anxiety is there. And as, uh, as we were discussing, there's so many different symptoms, right? And it, just one symptom doesn't necessarily mean that your child has separation anxiety disorder, but more a constellation of these symptoms. And then really looking at how much are those symptoms distressing? Are they distressing for the child? Are they distressing for the caregiver? And, you know, I think also just how much is it impairing the child's functioning and the caregiver's functioning and really kind of keeping an eye on those pieces as well. Mm -hmm. Like, is it affecting the family system? For example, can parents no longer go on a date night because it causes so many issues at home or they won't, you know, have their grandparents come and babysit because it's too distressing. So that could be a clue that it's um, extreme or the functioning is impaired at that point. And it's so fascinating bringing up that point, Dr. Layla, just because we've all seen it where when the anxiety gets really bad, it, it doesn't just affect the child, it doesn't just affect the child and parent, but in many cases it affects the entire family and everybody starts to basically be controlled by that anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I thought next, maybe now that we've talked about the symptoms, we could look at some ideas for helping caregivers when their child or, or the young one that they're looking after is experiencing separation anxiety. So Dr. Layla, do you want to start us off and talk about some ideas for helping caregivers manage the separation anxiety? 
For sure. So I think one of the first points is for parents to be aware of their own behavior and to stay calm. So your child is always going to be looking to you as a parent or as a caregiver, um, how you're responding to situations or how you're emotionally processing the situation. So for example, if you seem really scared or fearful, your child is going to think that there's something to be afraid of or to be fearful of. And our kids take you know, cues from us, especially young children, since their brains aren't developed yet to tell the difference between a safe situation or a real danger. Um, so for example, you know, first day of school, if you're saying things like, oh, I'm really worried about who's going to be in your class or what teacher you're going to have this year, or I really hope your day goes well and I'm really worried, you know, you're going to be really anxious today, that can all be cluing your kid into feeling anxious themselves. So just being mindful about how you're speaking and how you're wording things can be very helpful. Um, another point for parents to keep in mind is not to prolong the goodbye process too much. So, um, you know, it's completely normal to say goodbye and have a routine, give a hug, give a kiss, for example, but you don't want to get into a habit where now you're giving 10 hugs or saying goodbye 10 times um, because that can just be a pattern that prolongs the process and creates more anxiety. And then the child also becomes dependent on that. And if it you know, gets altered in any way, maybe you can't give 10 hugs and 10 kisses one morning, it may make their anxiety worse. So you want to make sure um, your routine is kind of realistic and that you're not prolonging the goodbye. And avoiding giving too much reassurance is really important. We've talked about this before in other podcast episodes about how reassurance seeking is a very natural kind of uh, tendency for kids to engage in when they're anxious. However, um, too much of it is, is not good at all for kids' anxiety. We want them to be able to self-soothe and use their own self-talk to manage their anxiety. And so, you know, I always like to tell families, you reassure once and that's it right? You don't engage in this process of reassuring over and over again. Um, and another tip I'll, I'll give to parents is not to sneak away, right? So sometimes at drop-offs, you know, you just kind of drop the child off and like slowly back away. Um, you know, you don't want to do too much sneaking away or any sneaking away at all. Um, and I think it's helpful for parents and children to have a plan. Okay, tomorrow's the first day of school. I'm going to say goodbye once and give you a kiss once, and then you're going to get on that school bus right? Um, and so the child expects that you're not going to engage in a prolonged kind of goodbye process, and they know that you're not doing it in a way that's malicious. It's a plan so that they're feeling less anxious um, while they're saying goodbye. I like how you just said that, Dr. Layla, the, the plan part in particular, right? Because I, you know, we, we, the three of us have all been through this with our own kids, and it really is so hard and hard to know what to expect, right? Like I know for myself, my son had no problem initially adjusting to daycare when he was little and it was kindergarten where it actually caught me by surprise because he was more anxious than I was expecting, which created anxiety in me. But I think the idea of having that plan and knowing that it's not gonna be perfect, but just having that plan to fall back on is such a good idea, I like framing it that way. And I think you bring up a good point as well, Dr. Jen, just about the fact that it's not always a linear progression and the anxiety doesn't always go the way we might expect. So just like you said, you know, it's not always that kids have trouble at the beginning and then it's smooth sailing from there. It can pop up at different times. So being consistent, having a plan and just continuing one foot in front of the other during those difficult times can be really important as well. 
Definitely, definitely. So I wanted to talk about some other ideas for how we talk to our children about what they're feeling. And I know we've covered some of these ideas in previous episodes, but I would say one of the most important things is helping to normalize our child's feelings. So allowing them to feel however they feel and really reminding them that a lot of kids are maybe a little worried or a little bit anxious or a little bit scared that first day right especially that first day and so just normalizing that feeling also working on addressing any irrational thoughts so asking your child if they have any worries and it's quite funny as parents we often think their worries are going to be our worries but often they're not they're often very different and so you want to be careful not to suggest the worries to your child but more ask them if there's anything that they're thinking about or worrying about when they're thinking about those first couple days of school or of daycare we also really want to work on and, and dr Layla touched on this but helping our child learn to solve some of their their problems. We want them to start thinking about these things. So if one of their worries is, you know, what am I going to do if I can't find my friend at recess? Or what do I do if I don't know who my teacher is? And starting to get them to come up with some ideas and obviously encouraging them and helping them. And we give more help when they're younger, but really getting them to realize that when these things come up, when the concerns come up, they actually are very capable problem solvers and just helping to, to build that confidence in them. It also might be helpful to discuss something to look forward to at the end of the day or during the day or some of the positives, right? So maybe your child is really excited about seeing a, a certain friend or if they're returning to school or daycare, maybe there's a teacher that they're excited to see and just reminding them of some of those positives. As parents, it's also so important that we have confidence in our child's abilities. So reminding ourselves that these kids are really good at solving problems and they're also good at new situations and novel situations. Often our kids are better at this than, than we are as adults, right? And they're able to take on new and different environments quite well. Another thing you might wanna try is just asking your child how they felt prior to the day starting often the anxiety is going to be quite high versus maybe how they felt later on or how it went for them and just getting them to reflect a little bit on their own experience can be can actually be a really helpful thing to do dr Layla already mentioned having a plan can be so helpful so maybe you want to practice um, whatever that plan is ahead of time and kind of deciding what the goodbye is going to look like. Maybe you want to talk to the teachers or an EA ahead of time if your child really is struggling. Maybe having a person take your child by the hand, um, or if the child's younger, they may actually need to be involved in helping you get the child off of you or those types of things. But coming up with some sort, some sort of a plan ahead of time can be really helpful. I was just going to say, Dr. Jen, some of these things we can role play and practice with our children at home too, like dealing with difficult situations in the childcare setting. If they're worried about things with friends, sometimes we can practice that. And like you mentioned, really encouraging them to come up with the solutions on their own. I always like telling, well, my kids in particular, I always like telling them that, you know, friends are still learning at school. So things aren't going to be perfect. Sometimes these situations will come come up and then that can lead into a discussion about how to deal with it if that's something they're anxious about. Yes, and that role playing can be so helpful too, just in yeah. developing their confidence and their ability to manage whatever the issue is. Yeah. 
on that note, I was actually thinking maybe next we could talk a little bit about some more concrete ideas for helping uh, parents and caregivers when their child's entering a new childcare setting. So Dr. Mary, maybe you could help with this part and just kind of talk about some of these concrete ideas for, for parents. Yeah, for sure. You know, a big part of our goal in helping our kids who are experiencing this sort of separation anxiety is that we want to create as much predictability for them as we can so that there are fewer unknowns. It just helps organize the chaos for them a little bit when they know what to expect and it tends to make the separation a bit easier and to increase their confidence as they go into these situations. Um, One of the things that I like to do or one of the things that we can do before entering a new situation like childcare or possibly school is to create a little book for our child with pictures of the new setting, maybe activities that they're going to be doing, pictures of their teachers or childcare provider. And you want to read this book with your child beforehand so that they become more familiar with the space before even going into it. Um, It also can be helpful to read other books and watch videos about starting daycare or school with your child before they start. And then, like you mentioned, Dr. Jen, talking to them about things that they can look forward to. Oh, look at, you know, this really cool toy or this fun activity that you can do when you're there. Um, If it's a possibility, a great thing to do before they start is to have an opportunity to visit the childcare or school setting um, so that they can see the space in person and spend a bit of time with their new teacher or provider while you're there with them. So just to increase their comfort a little bit so they know what to expect. And for some kids, organizing a transition plan um, with the teacher or provider can work really well. So this might be things like initially starting with shorter days before moving to full days. So for example, if a child really has a hard time separating from an adult, they might do better with initially doing briefer periods and then increasing to um, the full amount of time. Um, Some kids really benefit from bringing a transition object with them to the new situation. So this might be something that they have at home that's really special or comforting for them. Um, And sometimes we can have our kids who have, you know, a beloved toy or something that they really love, we can actually let them know that maybe their toy is feeling really anxious and that their toy needs them to help to feel brave so that the child then is looking after their little stuffy or whatever it is when they're at school and helping um, their stuffy be brave. If it's not an option to bring something in from home, they might also have a special toy that they keep there that they really, really love so they can look forward to using that, um, that toy when they're there. Um, Again, going back to sleep, really important to have a good sleep routine um, so that when school or new child care situation starts, it's not a big adjustment with their sleep as well. They're already in an established routine. Um, and for some kids, when they get there, 
they do okay during the more structured periods. So they're able to manage, you know, the more structured times because they kind of know what to do, but then they have a much harder time when it's like busy and unstructured and they're not sure what to do. So things like recess or free play times might be a bit harder. Um, and for these kids, sometimes if they have like a special job or activity, um, so maybe helping the teacher take attendance in the morning, for example, um, having a time where they listen to some music and read a book, um, letting them take their time before they join the group. All these things can help them to feel less overwhelmed. Some kids like to get to the situation a little bit earlier so that they can adapt before all the other kids join. Um, anything that we can do to kind of help create that predictability. And like you both mentioned um, around, you know, drop-offs and pickups, we want to have a good routine there and also make sure that we're not having these prolonged goodbyes because we know that tends to make things a lot harder for the child. Those are great, uh, wonderful ideas, Dr. Mary. Another one that came to mind that I don't think we've, we've talked about yet today is sometimes kids, when they, when they can't bring an object back and forth or have the object there, they'll also, put, or maybe don't want it to be so obvious, they'll put a little X on their hand or a little O on their hand to represent a hug or a kiss from mom or dad. And sometimes that can be a nice little thing that they can do as well, just to remind them that that person is there and they'll be there to pick them up or just to have that little bit of comfort as well. And Dr. Jen, I know I'm jumping in right here at the end, but I just wanted to say, you know, also talking to our kids a little bit about the process of anxiety and what to expect. You know, it's hard at first, but the more we practice, like if you're playing a soccer game, you need to practice before you have the game and talking about anxiety with them in this way so that they know it's not always going to feel this way is really, really important for them as well. So I just wanted to add that in too. That's a really great point. Yeah. And just as we know, the anxiety so often makes us want to avoid, but just how important it is to push back against that. And by not avoiding, by going to school or going to daycare, we realize that it's a safe place and that it's okay. And then we build our confidence, as you say, Dr. Mary. I thought, uh, as usual, we'd wrap up just with a few take home messages. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about our three take homes for the day. So the first is just preparing in advance and having a plan. And as Dr. Mary was talking, I was thinking that the plan is wonderful and great for the child. It's also really important for the parent and even for the parent to feel good about things and confident about things. I think that plan is important. Making sure that we're doing things gradually, um, really working to build your child's tolerance is important. Trying to stay positive and encouraging throughout this process. It can be difficult and hard, so trying to stay on the positive side. And the last thing is just as a parent, doing our best, and I know it's not always easy, but trying our best to stay calm and confident as we're implementing the plan and really trying to manage our own anxiety. Excellent. Well, thank you so much to my co-hosts, Dr. Layla and Dr. Mary. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners and be sure to check out the links that we'll attach to the episode.